0: Have you thought this through?
1: No way will that work. Are you sure? Is there any money in that? You'll like, never make any money doing that. How are you going to pay the mortgage? Just get a job. You're going to try to sell that? Why can't you be normal
0: like anybody else? All right. Will your parents want too? savvy entrepreneur to the rescue. Congratulations. That really turned out well. i really good
1: job. I'm mean, no, I wish i thought I never i you so you're, here. you're here. I wish I had the courage to follow my dreams. Hey there. Hello, everybody. Good morning. Welcome to the Savvy Entrepreneur. We are broadcasting live from WLCB 101.5 FM from Chicago, Milwaukee, Greater Area. I'm your host Doris Nagel, and I'm a crazy entrepreneur myself. And I love helping other entrepreneurs. I've counseled lots of small businesses and startups as part of my law and consulting practice over the past 30 years. And I've also helped, or started myself, at least nine different businesses. And uh, boy, I have made a lot of mistakes along the way, and my passion now is to share what I've learned. I know there's lots of resources out there, and I know there are mistakes that I've made that I hope other people don't make. So my goal is to inspire and also to educate, and um, along the way hopefully have a lot of fun. Um, As always, I welcome your comments, your questions, your suggestions. If there's a topic you'd like to hear about, you're having a challenge, I'll do my best to either answer it or find you an answer. If you've got a resource that you'd like to share, or you'd like to be a guest, or maybe know somebody who'd be a great guest, just email me at dnagel, N-A-G-E-L, at lakesradio, lakes, plural, lakesradio.org. The show will be better for your input. And now, I'd like to introduce our guest for today. Joining me by phone today is Chelsea Brownridge. Who will share the story of a little company that's small but rapidly growing called Dogspot with a unique solution to help people with pets. So I, I kind of think of it as Spot Hero for dogs, but I'm not sure if that's accurate and we'll find out as we chat with Chelsea. So hang on a second here and we'll get her on the phone. So just by way of introduction, Chelsea Brownridge is Dog Spot's Chief Executive Officer and Chairman. She was born and raised in Charlotte, North Carolina, and she attended UNC. Hey, Chelsea. Hey, Chelsea. Good morning. It's Doris Nagel. Good morning. How are you? I'm great. I guess it's afternoon for you. Chelsea's based in New York. Thanks for joining us this morning. I was just doing a quick introduction saying you were Born and raised in Charlotte, North Carolina, a very lovely place, I might say. I'm pretty partial to North Carolina. She attended UNC, University of North Carolina, Chapel Hill. She earned a bachelor's degree there and also co-founded the Carolina Microfinance Initiative. So if we have a chance this morning, Chelsea, we can talk for a minute about that because that that in and of itself sounds pretty interesting. But then she moved to New York and got her Master's of Public Administration from NYU. and Well, she also worked in several operational capacities at a a place called Ashoka and also SY Partners. And then she partnered with the Huffington Post, which most people have heard of, and founded something called Ignite Good, which is a nonprofit focused on grassroots movement building. And while she was working there, she rescued her terrier mix and, uh, I guess, soulmate, right, Winston? <laughs> and with Winston as their inspiration, she and her partner, Todd Schechter, dreamed up Dogspot in 2015 and got financial support through several pitch competitions, which I would love to hear about, Chelsea, because I'm not sure how many startup businesses know about pitch competitions or how to find the right ones and how to how to actually be successful doing them So I'm sure you'll have some words of wisdom on that But she currently lives in Brooklyn Where she's an advocate for rescuing dogs Surprise, surprise Given her, her company is called Dogspot And she's a fan of country music And a dedicated triathlete So with that introduction Chelsea, thank you so much for being on the show today Welcome to the Savvy thank,
0: Entrepreneur Thank you Thanks so much for having me I'm excited to talk to you today
1: Yeah so, um, I have to admit, I'm a self-professed dog lover. In fact, at one point, I was accused of being a dog hoarder. Um <laughs> <laughs> and, and I wasn't actually offended when somebody said that, and in honor of our interview today, I actually brought my dog to the radio station studio today, so he's sitting at my feet, because I figured he'd want to hear what you had to say. Oh, what's his name? His name is Phineas. My, Love that. My what dog-, kind of dog is he is a Yorkie Bichon mix. He's about 10 pounds, so he fits under the airplane seat, which is great. He's named by my daughter after her favorite cartoon show, Phineas and Ferb. So I'm Oh,
0: yeah. Anyway,
1: we don't have Ferb. I don't know where Ferb is yet, but, but Ferb could appear one of these days. I, I, I don't know. But anyway, he's in the studio today, so uh, he's waiting anxiously to hear about something that's cool for dogs. Yeah,
0: I also have my, it's a Saturday here, so obviously, so I have, uh, my two dogs are also I'm at home, and they're in the other room, so I've got Winston, uh of course, is, uh, he's actually, today's his birthday, he's seven years old today, oh, happy and, birthday, uh, <laughs> Winston. thanks, yeah, and then I, I rescued a second dog about a year and a half ago, and her name is Pepita, and so they're they're both in the other
1: room. So if you hear some barking, they sometimes play. Uh but well, I guess and I my guess dog might bark back. I don't know. He probably will <laughs> wonder where the, where the sound is coming from. That's great. So are they are they best pals or are they still They are. To... Yeah. Yeah. We got
0: really lucky. We sort of introduce them, you know, we read all the different um best practices of introducing a second dog to your family and so when we brought her home, we actually had Winston out for a walk. We brought her out to a neutral territory. Uh-huh. You know, they always say don't bring the second dog into the home or some place where they might feel you know, feel threatened. And so we had them play and then we walked with them together, and they were, yeah, it was almost immediate best friends, and, and they play very similarly. Yeah, it's really fun.
1: Well, dogs are pack animals, and they love their human pack, but there's, there is there uh, is something fun and special watching other dogs bond with other dogs, isn't there? Yep. So, um, uh, we could probably talk all morning, at least for the whole hour, <laughs> about dogs and dog training and funny things our dogs do, because you know because that's what dog crazy people do. But I know our listeners would really like to hear a little bit about your company. So, uh, what is Dog Spot exactly and how did how did it come about? Sure. Yeah. So,
0: Dog Spot, we put high-tech dog houses in front of places that don't allow dogs inside. So, commonly grocery stores, coffee shops, cafes, anywhere because of federal health code rules where dogs, and of course, unless they're service dogs, wouldn't be allowed inside. Um, and so living in a city like New York, it, it would frequently be a place where you would see uh, maybe a dog tied up outside oh, or, yeah. um, you know, if you live in a more drivable area, places where you might see a dog in the parking lot in the car.
1: Which, of course, is not a good thing yes. generally <laughs> when it's really cold or even if it's kind of warm, so...
0: That's right. That's right. Yeah, no, it's super dangerous. And so in tying your dog up is too. So dog theft is on the rise in cities, because as we value our dogs more, that just means they're more valuable. And so thieves know that. And so I, you know, for me, where it came from is living in Brooklyn, having, uh I've had dogs my whole life, but Winston was my first, you know, dog as a young adult. And I had him on my own and and I realized just how many places I would go on a daily basis where they had that big no pets allowed sign on the door. And so what it would mean is if I was already out with Winston, I couldn't go into the store um, because I would never tie him up outside. Um, Or if I was uh, knew that I was leaving the house and I may be out for hours, you know, running around the city doing Mm -hmm. things and it was one day in particular where he could have been with me for hours enjoying the, the, you know, sights and sounds and smells of the city. Um, and he loves, I mean, there's nothing more, you know, he loves than when he sees me putting my shoes on and he just wants to come, you know, and right, so it would right, break right. my I heart. Was that, gonna,
1: I was just going <laughs> to say, my dog, other than the W-A-L-K word, road, uh-huh. trip, road trip are the other two favorite, favorite words that, that my dog. Yeah. Has I called. mean,
0: And that's the thing is like they love being out of the house and, you know, and and especially if you live in a city in smaller apartments, you know, oftentimes without outdoor space, the city is their backyard. And so I would it would kill me when I would be out running errands. And and a lot of them he could have come to, you know, if I was just picking, there's are, there are a lot of places that are dog friendly, but if there was even one stop all day long, you know, where it would have been a no dogs allowed situation, it just meant he couldn't come. And I thought, man, if there was only a way where for a few minutes, if I have to run to a store, there's this one stop in my day, he gets to enjoy the 98% of the other parts. And that would be way better for him and, he, and more enjoyable for just the both of us to spend time together. And then I realized we were alone. Um, so American Pet Product Association, I started digging into some data and I started talking to all my dog friends and people at the dog park, and uh, I found out that 87% of people bring their dogs on errands every single week, at least once a week. Um, wow. a third are doing it every single day. And so I, I, that's, when I started learning more about the market, I thought, man, I'm not alone, right? This is a personal frustration that I would like to solve, and I'm certainly not not the well, only dog you owner know, on with
1: it. There's no question that dogs have become a more integral part of our life, I think, as people mm-hmm. feel more isolated and maybe disconnected. you know, People move more often or are not close to their families. I mean, I think there's some remarkable studies where people say their dog is you know when they ask who their best friend is they say their dog. Well
0: that's right and there's a lot going on there. So one uh, there's a program called Mars Better Cities for Pets and they did some research recently and they actually found that dogs are responsible for more social connection than church and children. I mean they just play such an important wow. role in that, um, well, and you're I've, right. The other I certainly are, met all, all
1: most of my neighbors through walking the dogs and meeting people. Yeah, you know, as they walk well, there, the
0: world so. is the world is becoming more dog friendly, that's what's great. So, about a third of all workplaces are now dogs have pet friendly policies, which means wow. our dogs are going to work with us. in well, that, Chicago? Of their- I
1: got to tell you, there's, yeah. there's uh, <laughs> the Midwest. That, that that may be a coast thing. East Coast, West Coast, but uh, it hasn't hit the Midwest yet. I got to tell you,
0: it's coming. I mean, it's you know, it, and it, it's it's because so many places are becoming dog more hotels than ever are dog friendly, more true. restaurants Absolutely. are allowing them on patios, yep. and and so they just are living lives outside of the house in ways that we really didn't see ten years ago or right. even five years ago. Right. And so that's that's why I think the the time is now for a solution like Dog Spot because they are out and about with us. People are being educated that tying them up and leaving them in a the car just isn't a safe option. And, in fact, a lot of states are, in cities are making it illegal to do either one of those things. Oh, really? Um, and so, wow. yeah, oh, yeah. But, you know, but that's the best thing is you can put up a law like that. But unless there's a solution, you need, you know, it's, it's, it's difficult to tell people, well, you can't do the thing you're doing. And yes, in a grand world, we would all have enough time to walk our dogs for hours a day and be able to do all of our errands and everything else in the meantime. You know, but that's, you know, and that's, that's oftentimes what we'll hear is we'll just leave them at home. And absolutely, in a lot of cases, it's still going to make the most sense to leave them in the comforts of their home. But, if you're out and about, uh, why not provide a better alternative to what we see happening today?
1: Absolutely. All right, so you got you had a great idea, which was to help solve this problem, but there's probably a lot of different ways to tackle it. So how did you go about deciding on the model? I guess first describe what the model really is mm-hmm. and then how how you decided on that model as opposed to I don't know. There's probably other. There's probably other wacky. But you know, a lot more wacky solutions like hiring somebody to to stand outside the door. Yeah. No, no, we and, and, this, and
0: that's the thing. And, you know. When I had that, when I experienced the problem, you know, I had been experiencing the problem at sort of a low level inconvenience often, but it was this one day in particular that I, it struck me, you know, it was, again, it was this one day he could have been out with me all day. I was making this one, you know, 15, 20 minute stop uh, along the way that he wouldn't have been able to go inside the store. And so he just had to stay home. And it was that day that I thought, man, I thought to myself, I would pay someone to make sure Winston is safe for this 15, 20 minutes so that he could have been out with me the rest of the day. And that was the, and I, that's when I started thinking about the solutions. And yeah, I thought about a ton of different things. I thought about, well, what if there was this mobile, you know, doggy, like daycare where you could call them up and they would like drive up to you and it'd be in this like, you know, truck or something <laughs> and like there'd be a safe place for your dog or what? Yeah. What if there was someone I could call? And they would come, you know, quickly, right? Because like, that's the thing. It's all about that. It still needs uh, to be convenient, right? Like, right. I'm not going to wait around for half an hour for someone to show right. up. But right. if right. someone could come within five minutes, like, would I schedule that and wait for that? Probably. Right. And then I thought about, well, what if there were more tiny, like, brick-and-mortar doggy daycares where you could you could drop them off by the 10, 15-minute block of time? And, you know, anyways, I thought about a, You're right. I thought about a whole bunch of different ways to solve for the problem. But the reality was, is as I dug into each one of those, the, the business model wouldn't have made sense, right? Because when you involve, when you think about what would I be willing to pay, mm-hmm. right? To have somebody make sure Winston's safe in those, you know, 10, 15, maybe 30 minutes where mm-hmm. I'm going into a place where he can't go right. versus what would I need to charge to right. make that model work? And it never lined up. It wasn't like I was, I wasn't going to be willing to spend, you know, $30 for like 15 right. minutes and right. you they know and an that's an over, sort of what to
1: call over and have an over
0: <laughs> drive the guy right. around the yeah, out, exactly. Right? No, I mean, I, you know, it just, it was like, ah, that's that's too premium. That, that's too expensive. And the whole point is I'm out running around. I'm looking for convenience, right? I'm not also not going to wait 10, 15 minutes for like the solution to show up. I need it when I need it. I need it on the go. And, and so that's when I came up with Dogspot, which is a, it's a high tech dog house. It sits directly in front of the place where you need it. And then, of course, as I started thinking about, well, what does a home away from home look like for a dog? And what would the techno you know, what are all the what if scenarios it would need to serve, right. right? To make sure the dog is always safe and comfortable. You know, and as a dog mom, I was starting, you know, all the questions I'm sure we'll get to today ran through my head well okay it needs to be clean and it needs to be the right temperature and I want to be able to watch him the whole time and I want to know that I can trust the service and that like you know it has what if technology fails right what if you know all the what ifs is where I think how do you you
1: lock it and keep it locked Mm -hmm. but then open it when you need it opened yeah
0: that's right. And so that's when this, the technology startup of Dogspot was born because the unit economics, what are called, you know, the business model, which is, so Dogspot's 30 cents a minute. It's the right price. So if I'm going for, a, you know, 15 minutes, I'm paying like more 50, right? That's, that's a, that's a good that's price a for it. Like, and I would, pay,
1: I'd, I'd pay that. Yeah. You know,
0: right. So it was the right price. And that's because naturally it's a self-service. Doghouse, and so there is no human there, and that's how we are able to keep the price at a point where it's really approachable for pretty much anyone and so the the conflict over well how do I keep my dog safe and am I willing to pay that it's so it's such a low price and the reason we are able to do that is because it's a self-service doghouse. so there's no there's not a you know as soon as you introduce a person who's standing there with the dog you know or something like that that's when it the price never it wouldn't I couldn't get it to work with a human intervention I guess. Well, so it had well, to be right. technology
1: well right but there's you know there's there's a fair bit of It sounds simple, okay? So you get this little dog house out in front of your favorite grocery store, and you put the dog in. And in and of itself, that sounds really straightforward, but having been involved with a bunch of startups before, you know, I start thinking, well, wait a minute, though. Okay, now you've introduced the technology of the dog house, but you've also introduced the technology of, having it available on demand and being able to lock it and then unlock it when you need it to be locked so how did you how did you solve some of those tech problems
0: yes yeah, so I, I had the idea about five years ago and at that time you you i'm sure a lot of listeners and you might be familiar with uh this was when you know uber of course had already been around for about five years or something at least i think about no maybe not quite that long maybe about Maybe about four years. We had been around at least in New York for like three or four years at that point. So people were familiar with needing to download apps to get services. And also at that time, we were starting to see bike sharing, car sharing, and then of course more recently scooter sharing has been right. popping up everywhere. So so the technology of needing to have an app in order to access some sort of service. And being able to access an app to use a piece of hardware, right like a bike or a car or a scooter, this was already starting to bubble up, and at that time, there was this really big trend of IOT, which is it called which is um, uh, an acronym for Internet of Things yeah. that's right. so this is where we're able to make any device smart and that's because it's connected to the internet so anyway there are a whole bunch of trends going on and it's interesting when I first had the idea for dog spot which at the time was called dog parker now dog spot you know I I jumped one of the first things I did of course was like I jumped on the computer to see well has anyone else done this right like was sort of one of the first things you do is like right. does this exist and I just haven't seen it and and I remember being shocked when I didn't find anyone doing this and I thought ah, I wonder why just like to me it was just like this is such an obvious thing. I can't believe nobody's ever done this before. Like how likely, usually when you have an idea, you kind of look and someone's already trying to do it somewhere. And I think it's, but I think it's because the technology, it was the right idea at the right time in terms of the tech. So the tech was just recently available because everyone has a smartphone in their pocket now. Everyone's getting familiar with downloading apps. You can make devices smart like a doghouse. The internet connection is, critical to us being able to deliver a reliable service that's monitored that has all the redundancies in place if you just put a doghouse out there without the ability to monitor the temperature remotely, uh unlock the house yourself from your phone, monitor your dog through the puppy cam, and oh, a and live stream able, do all the
1: this- and be able to mm-hmm. to book it so that you know it's actually right. available when you want it to be available. You know, that's
0: right. Yeah, all of those things wouldn't have been possible really ten years ago, and honestly, we even five years ago as we started developing the tech we were really pushing the boundaries of what the technology could do. And then so funny people are like, Oh, cute. It's a dog house. But actually it's a really complicated piece of technology yeah. and, uh, and necessarily so for us to be able to deliver on, on the value. Now, I think while we were right on the money in terms of the technology and being able to, to produce the unit, I think we, we were, and we still continue to be a little bit ahead of our time, I think in terms of the actual offering, <laughs> like, so um the idea of putting your dog into a dog house that's outside the grocery store I think is still something that we're finding you know we're seeing the popularity grow month over month quarter over quarter but it's still a, a brand new concept nobody's ever seen this before and it takes humans a while to get comfortable with doing anything new in their routine and that, so that's that, is that you know
1: that is and true. That, so
0: that's where I think That's that's the that's the learning curve that we're currently riding is is getting the humans and the funny thing is that the dogs are perfectly comfortable. The dogs are they're den animals, they feel very safe in enclosed, den like environments. You know, we've we've worked with animal behaviorists and veterinarians to design a space that they would love, and so most people are like, oh, I don't know, will my dog like it? And, and the answer is, well, yeah, with enough training and, and acclimation and, and positive reinforcement, dogs can be trained to be comfortable in many environments. Just similar to if you ever tried to get your dog into a you know a, a bag before or the little airline carrier yeah. or create training in general at home, right. it's, it's a very similar process.
1: Yeah. You know, I, it strikes me, too, that the other piece of your model that I, I, you know, I spent some time on your website, which is a great website, by the way, it's very informative hey. and it's fun, but I wondered about also about how you chose your distribution model and and marketing model. So, I mean, one strategy, obviously, is going door to door and saying, you know, you got the local bookstore and you say, hey, would you put one of these outside your your place or the grocery store? But at some point that becomes, that becomes challenging to really, to really scale. So how do you decide where to put the units and not, not only what kind of stores and even the stores within your neighborhood, but, but then geographically how to expand?
0: Yeah, so we did. We've done this in two phases. So we're based in Brooklyn. So the first thing we did is we just started here at home. So we put 50 houses up all around Brooklyn, and we we would just pound the what I always say is we would just pound the pavement. So we would go out. We'd go door to door. And we'd say we'd show some pictures of what the doghouse looked like. We would ask them, hey, do you ever see dogs tied up outside? Are people trying to bring their dogs inside and you have to tell them to leave? You know, we were just trying to pinpoint Mm -hmm. where the problem was. And, of course, the problem was also visual, like you could see it, because if you were walking by a store and there's a dog tied up, that's a great place for a dog spot. Mm-hmm. And so um, we did it two ways. One, we wanted to stay here at home. You know, with a new technology, we wanted to keep it close to home early days as we were continuing to do R&D and manufacture and, on, and really build the product, the technology itself. So we started here. And eventually we built up over about a year time uh, to 50 units all around sort of Brooklyn, mostly in front of places that you would expect, like ice cream shops and coffee shops and grocery stores. We also tried a few oddballs, you know, almost mostly because the stores then started reaching out to us and asking if they could have one so you know we had like a little gift shop ask for one but the gift shop was dog friendly so we were like i don't know that that makes sense but okay you know we've had a couple bars like ask us for them again i I I, I wasn't really
1: i think car mechanics and car car dealerships when you take your car in I yeah, we what had what all I
0: kinds wish. of ideas and so we were like, okay, well, like, let's just learn. And we're so early days, let's just throw it out there and let's see if it works, right? And what we learned was some places worked great, like coffee shops and grocery stores, and some places didn't, like bars and gift shops and sort of more, more kind of, the utilization just wasn't there. And that's okay. We, we knew we would learn, uh, we would learn which ones were most in demand. And we have a place on our website where people can request dog spots. Both the businesses themselves can email us and say, I want one. And then also dog owners or pet parents can go on there and make suggestions. And so Mm -hmm. if we saw that 10 people suggested the same bodega or or corner market or something, then okay, we would call that corner market and we'd say, hey, we've had a lot of requests for dog spot at your location. Uh, Are you interested in hosting one? And, you know, it was great because then we already knew that we had a built-in user base. They were already asking for it to be there. Right, right. So then we learned a lot about, so that was Brooklyn, we learned a ton about a city network and the network effect of just no matter where you go, I mean, Brooklyn back in those days, like, it's almost no matter which neighborhood you were in, there was a, a dog spot or block or two away, and that really changes the way you can move about the city with your dog, if you can imagine, and well, then it, it we ran the regular it change yeah.
1: people's perceptions, too, I think. When you start to mm-hmm. see them everywhere, then all of a sudden, it's not this weird thing, it's, Wow. There, there's another one and another one. Everybody's doing it, you know. Yeah, right. That's right. And there was that
0: social proof was necessary, so people wanted you know when you saw one, and you thought, oh, what is this? And you kind of read it, you look at it, and then when you see a dog just sitting or laying down in one calmly, you know, especially on a hot summer day, and they're they're in there in like 65 degree cooled, you know, cooled temperature. It's like okay, I get it. I get it. This is nice. And then so, but in Brooklyn, we were mostly on because the city's so dense. Uh, buildings go right up to the property line. Most of our houses were on the, what's called the public right of way or the sidewalk. Um, so right in front of the store, there was always enough clearance. We were, you know, the, the sidewalks were nice and wide and, and we would oftentimes sort of nestle it in beside a, a planter or a rack of carts. So, you know, it would sort of be amongst the other things that are out in front of these stores. But because we were the first to ever put a dog house on a sidewalk, there are some things that are in the code that you can have oh. things on the sidewalk, but dog house. Naturally, never having it existed before, was not on the list of approved things wow, never, to be on I a site. I never sidewalk. thought
1: about that, but absolutely. Yeah. Right. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So we, we, we worked here in Brooklyn for two years between our garage prototype and our manufactured model, but eventually the city said, look, you can't, you can't, we need it, this needs to be in the code. So we had to remove all 50 houses, and no. about four months ago, yeah, it was a pain. <laughs> so about four months ago, though, we passed a law. With the city council, you know we were in support of of this new introduction. It was to allow for what are called safe animal harbors in front of commercial
1: establishments and we're right, a, a, pl- a whole new category a safe animal harbor we're a
0: whole new. Ca- That's right. So they are now um, permitted to be on the sidewalks of Brooklyn. Specifically, we started just in this borough. We still need to, we haven't relaunched Brooklyn yet. We still have a few houses out here on private property in the meantime, but we will relaunch those Brooklyn houses later this year. Timeline, a little TBD, but we certainly hope by summer.
1: You know, that's interesting. Although I would guess in suburban locations in many, many places, you probably would have lots of private property i mean i'm just thinking of the grocery store i went to last night i mean there's a ginormous parking lot and there's obviously plenty of room where the shopping carts are where you can Mm -hmm. line up half a dozen dog spot units and they'd be on private property and i i don't know if there'd be any code issue at all you know
0: it it varies and we you know we've had our we've that's you know one of the things we've had to navigate as a new thing that nobody's ever seen before and people don't quite know they're like well you're not a bench you're not a planter you're not a red box so you know what are you you know a <laughs> a so we, no <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah yeah no,
1: you got well, a shed is, yeah, exactly you? Only...
0: wow so we've had to, we've we've had to navigate it, we've we've done that fairly well and you know, we've not with not of course without learnings and hiccups along the way, but when we had to remove all fifty units from Brooklyn, that's when we went national. That's when we said, Okay, great, well we know how to we know our product is solid, we know people like it, we know the stores want it, so let's open it up and that's when that's why you'll see the map now if you go to our website, Hello dot com you know and then slash locations you'll sort of see that we're coast to coast now our Absolutely. biggest network is actually in Seattle of all places um, which couldn't be further away from where oh, we are yeah, now but a,
1: there's a lot of coffee shops there that's for sure that's So maybe case. that's not a coincidence I don't know yeah
0: so we started growing anywhere at that point so we said okay well we we have the product we know how to operate it uh, certainly operating our houses remotely was always part of the plan uh, it wasn't exactly the right you know I, I wouldn't say if we, if all things being equal, we would have chosen to do it at that time, but look, we couldn't operate here in New York, so we had to go elsewhere. And so we did. And in July of 2018, about a year and a half ago is when we started putting out houses basically out anywhere. So we are now, we have some, uh, a location in, uh, Austin, Texas, and we've got a bunch in Seattle and Portland and Boise, Idaho, you know, and it's, uh, we've just been following what I call following the thread. Who wants the houses? We opened it up nationwide. We got a lot of inbound interest, and and we mostly have stayed focused on grocery. So most of our locations are now really focused on the grocery store. It's the number one location I request bet. that we get, and we're working with really big chains now. We're working with Kroger, Albertsons, Meyer, and so that's been nice. So to your point earlier of yeah, pounding the pavement, going door to door. Yeah. You know, it
1: takes a long time, but yeah, for us to need, work with. You need a partner yeah. that has mm-hmm. reach that you can tap into so you're making connections at a corporate level and they're helping deploy it, I think, you know, and it sounds like that's, that's, exactly, that's exactly what you're doing. Yep,
0: yeah, that's right. So that's where we are now. But you know, it's, you know, we couldn't have done that day one, you know, to, to knock on Albertson's or Grover's door and say, hey, we're right. dog spot, can we put some dog, you know, <laughs> we, for us to have Two years of successful, I guess even longer at that time, but almost three years of success with the product, with the operations, with happy customers. It was necessary, you know, because then, then Kroger and the big guys will, they'll start to take you more seriously.
1: Interesting, interesting journeys. Uh, so let's rewind though just a little bit. I think you talked about the operational piece and how you went from concept to an actual functioning product and the technology behind it, but How did you go about getting funding for it? I mean, that, that's a fixation, and I think rightly so, for a lot of startup businesses, particularly ones that need to invest in, in technology or manufacturing capacity, and you needed both. So, Mm -hmm. how did you go about doing that?
0: Yeah, so early days, you know, like most entrepreneurs, you know, I had to, and a first time entrepreneur for sure. Maybe if you're an exited entrepreneur, you can just go out there and raise money on an idea. For us, though, we needed to show that we could build it, that, that the technology could exist, right? Because we were really pushing the boundaries of, of IoT and what the tech could be. And we needed to prove demand. There was no one else that we could point to. There wasn't another doghouse operator that we could say, look, there's a market for this. There's a man for this. Like, right. we're just going to do that, but we're going to do it better. Give us money. You know, right. but we had to not, we had to build the tech. We had to put it out in the world and See if anyone would put their dog inside yeah, of one of yeah, our dog houses.
1: Basically prove that there's a market for it, right, and what the price that's, point is.
0: Yeah. So we couldn't raise money, you know, again, I'm not, you know, some people you know may, might have more access to friends and family who could sort of believe in you and fund an idea. But, you know, so what I did is I worked, I worked full time. I, I still had a job and that's how I was able to pay myself, you know, and any extra money I had went into paying um, a friend of a friend who was an electrical engineer to help us build the first prototype in a garage in Brooklyn and, um and just, you know, did what, you know, what they basically call bootstrapping. So We bootstrapped the first, models, you know, the first prototypes and we put them out there and we didn't raise any money early on and took on, you know, credit card debt and, you know, (laughs) and, uh, you know, you do what you have to do. And so I did all of that. I believed, I really believed in the product. Now to be clear though, I didn't, I didn't invest any money into building the prototype until I had done sufficient market research. So that's always the first thing is what can you do that doesn't cost anything. Right. So I went, basically what I did is I went out And I talked to as many dog owners as I could, which luckily dog owners, again, love talking about their dogs. So it wasn't so hard to find a whole bunch of dog owners who would tell me about their dog and their life with their dog and their routines. And so I did that first. I validated that this was a big enough problem just through Internet research and market research and talking to people. And then I went to go talk to businesses and I tried to figure out if it was a big enough problem for them too. so would the dog owner use it and would the store let me put it in front of their store? So I just went and had a whole bunch of conversations and I just did that on weekends or you know off hours of my job. I feel like I said I had my kept, kept my job and then um and then once I felt satisfied with with the answer that there would be a big enough market and I built some financial models and tried to better understand how, you know, well, what do I think I could build a dog house for? And what do I think it would cost to operate it? And how much usage do I think it would get? And, you know, and you just sort of do the, you know, the basics of the financial model. Then I started investing some money into making it come to, to come to life. And then, like, like I said, that was, that was all bootstrapped. But the first institutional or non non-chelsea money that right. I put into it there's a few things so um, I, I applied to some pitch competitions but so there's in New York and I think in a lot of markets there are you know early stage bring your idea you know you submit a you know a, 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 some information about what you're trying to build well, and, so uh, and how, you get how do you selected. find out about
1: those I mean and how do you I don't know if there's tons and tons of them but how do you know you found the right one
0: yeah, well, they'll—I mean—they'll t- I mean, they'll tell you what they're looking for. So for us, we're we're hardware, right? We have to visit with a physical product, and so we're a hardware startup. And so for there was um a group here called future. Uh, the program was called Future Works, and it's from the New York City Economic Development Corporation. And we were really lucky that you know NYC EDC was starting to invest money in hardware technology startups because the city as a whole had a goal of bringing. One, attracting more startups to New York. They want startups here, startups that create job creation and, 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 and all sorts of things that are positive for the economy. And so they were trying to attract startups to be here. And that means creating a healthy ecosystem for startups to so startups want to be here, right? It's, it, you know, a, in a lot of ways, it doesn't make any sense to start a company in New York or San Francisco because of the cost of living, right? And so if you're <laughs> like, it makes a lot of sense yeah, to start Chicago companies either, where, it,
1: right? Yeah. Yeah.
0: I mean, it's great if you can't, but like the talent and the ecosystem is here and that's the trade off. So it is great place to build companies, even though the cost of living is really high because you have infrastructure here and talent to be able to to pull on. So I remember Googling like hardware. I think I started Googling like hardware startups and I found all these meetup groups. So once a month, there is this hardware it's just called literally, it's just called the hardware meetup, and it's a whole bunch of people that are trying to start hardware companies. And then you go and you talk to them, and then they tell you about things that they're applying for or, or the competitions. Of course, the competitions want you want to find you, and so they're they're promoting it on on newsletters. So I joined a whole bunch of technology startup newsletters in New York. I went to a whole bunch of meetups, and I got of just just found them by Google searching or recommendations from other people. And you just kind of start to network and find your way in and and that's how those the opportunities would present themselves.
1: So I, I think there's a few lessons here, some really valuable insights for entrepreneurs, especially those who are just starting out. I mean, one is obviously, as you said, methodical, thorough market research before you spend a lot of money. I have definitely worked with and been actually, okay, guilty as charged, um, part of a couple of startups where the original idea just, you know, it just was so exciting and so, you know, you're with a group of friends and it, it where everybody's like, oh, yeah, it's great, this great, of course it's great, but no, we don't really need to do a lot of market research. Everybody will know this is great. And it starts to become kind of an echo chamber where you hear only what you want to hear. And so... Getting that market research so, so, so important. You know, the, another kernel out of this is look for pitch competitions and hone your ideas and your presentation skills in those competitions. And I think a third is, is network like crazy. Just be me- really methodical about it. Try all the different ways and be very persistent. You know, I think Meetup is, it's, it's a phenomenal resource and I'm always amazed at how many people don't necessarily know about all the different ways you, it can be used. So I think those mm-hmm. are all phenomenal insights.
0: Yeah, well, and that, that money early on was, was a lifeline. So we got $10,000 from being a part of, you know, this is non-dilutive, meaning there, we didn't have to give up any equity right. for it. But the grant that we got from the FutureWorks New York City Economic Development Corporation was $10,000. We applied to the Brooklyn Public Library, had a business plan competition, and I think we got $5,000 from that, you know, and that's how I were able to pay the engineer and not take on, you know, as much debt otherwise. And so, I mean, early on, like that money was so helpful because otherwise it just would have, would have taken, who knows? I guess I, I would have figured out another way, but you know, credit cards are certainly involved in the process, but the, you know, the, the less the better. Yeah, <laughs> it
1: can be financially painful. That's for sure. Yeah. Working with a startup and being part of a startup. That's for sure. You know, I'm sure it's been just an amazing journey. What's been the best part about it for you?
0: I think I'll never get over the feeling I had early on with the first, even just the garage prototypes. And these were we we bought. When I mean garage prototype, all you know, we bought an off-the-shelf doghouse. We had our own tech. You know, we built it on a what's called a Raspberry Pi. The technology and it was you know very homemade because we you know manufacturing something is is extremely expensive and we couldn't do that until we raised proper you know, early stage venture capital and, and, and you know, from angel investors. So early on, we had to prove the concept with, you know, this $500 doghouse that we bought off the shelf that then we made a custom door for and got a lock and web, you know, webcam. And anyways, we were able to buy everything sort of offline or rather off the shelf. But when I remember putting that house out there, and that's when I left my job was October of twenty. 20- fifteen, I guess. Yeah, October 2015, um, when the first two dog houses went out for for testing, at, like into the public, that's when I I was full time. I I wasn't able to pay myself. I'd saved up a little bit of money, and um, but that's when I left my job and was full time available because if anyone needed customer service or they needed us or or anything else, I wanted to be fully available and they were in my neighborhood, so I was always going to be right there. But I remember just I would just be walking down the street because they were in my neighborhood and I would see it and I would just see people gathered around it, looking at it. I would see someone, you know, signing up or, you know, I did everything so manually back then. But just just seeing people interact with it in the real world was there's just nothing. Uh, this is hard to describe this. You know, there's this thing that's in your head.
1: Right. And you, can you kind of imagine what it's gonna look like. It's your birthday it ma- you've given birth to and your then it baby. Material, right? right? And everybody yeah. likes your and, baby and says it's really good looking.
0: Right? Well, and I don't smart. know. That's not, I wouldn't I'm not gonna sugarcoat it too much. I mean people we we got it all. People got thought, Oh what this is genius, this is amazing, I can't believe this hasn't existed and we also got people who thought it was the crazy you know and they still do and that's that's fine um you know any idea you put out into the world you're you'll likely ho- actually hopefully you'll likely have both because i think it's the ideas if you put them out there and nobody even reacts to them at all positively or negatively then that that means people aren't engaging with it so right. uh, with the with the with Good the point. really positive stuff also comes the negative and the opinions and you know the internet can't not always the friendliest place but you i really had to learn i mean i would i you know you had to get some thick skin real fast well, <laughs> with it sounds all like that, that's but,
1: been one of the harder parts of this whole journey is is probably dealing with rejection and negative feedback would you say that's true yeah and 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 that's that's
0: going to be for anything you do. Yeah, part of the fundraising process is lots of no's. part of the sales process is a lot of no's. Um and if you have a consumer facing product where you know just normal people at the end of the day using it, you're you've got to you know, you've got to keep your customers happy, to, you know, on, on all fronts. So, yeah, it's it's um you you take you you really have to have Patience um, and and be able to pick yourself back up every single time it's it's a no or or something gets knocked down and 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 that 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 really is the and that you have to be I think in order to be able to keep picking yourself back up time and time and time again you have to love your idea you have to love the business and be deeply passionate about it because if you're not then who will be it has to it has to be you and you have to you know you have to see that through.
1: Well, at some point you moved. Well beyond local business pitch competitions. So, uh, how did you make that move to get beyond that to basically venture capital funding? Yeah, one
0: step at a time, really. You know, so when we, when I was sort of getting that some early stage checks. You know, early, you know, boot, sort of in the bootstrapping phase, that was helpful. We also got a lot of press, which was helpful. Just, I think, because people love technology and dogs. And it was an interesting, quirky thing. No one had ever seen before. So we were very lucky. You know, we never, honestly, we never sought it out. It just sort of kept finding us. And so as a result that we re- that we had a lot of buzz around what it, what was happening. And, and we, we were lucky that actually, I think our very first check that we got, they reached out to us. They liked it and they, 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 it cut us a $200,000 check in June of 2016, I guess a little wow. less than a year. After we put the house out, and again, we, I didn't, uh, was not taking salary or anything else, so that $200,000 check was, was huge. For, you know, I, I'll never forget looking at the bank accounts the day after that check came in and just thinking like, man, this I is like, it. So, it was like, I've never, I, I was like, I've never seen this money in my life, you know? Yeah, and, wow. and it was like, this is gonna, it was gonna support support so much of the company and and what we needed to do. And, and then, and then we actually ended up raising another 200 because the nice thing is, is once you have someone who wants to put in money, you then sort of put together what's called a round. So you put terms Mm -hmm. together and, and then you, you try to find other people. And when you've got that first big commitment, you know, or what's considered a lead on the rounds, uh, it, it does become, uh, you know, at least a little bit easier to then
1: find other well, we, people who we, to follow along. We, we know dogs are pack animals, but we humans are kind of pack animals too, right? <laughs> so, you know, yeah, you gotta it. have, find somebody to be the first, and then everybody says, oh yeah, I'll, I'll do that too, right? Yeah.
0: And then, and the same thing too, you know, you just network. So I, at that point, that early days, I was going to a lot of technology, like, some sort of meetups to learn about tech and the tech community. And then I also started going to a lot of fundraising or um, investor uh, nights. So I would, I would meet investors, of course, through the pitch competitions and uh, a couple of times when we were pitching people from the audience, then ended up wanting to invest. Cause they, you know, they saw the pitch and they liked it and they were angel investors. So you uh-huh. just sort of, again, the, the networking on the tech side just naturally organically led to networking on the investor side and, you know, I'd never raised any venture capital before, and you just sort of, um, yeah, you just you just network your way into it um, by putting yourself out there.
1: Where do you see the company going? Where do you want it to be in five years?
0: Yeah, we hope to have ten thousand units out in wow. five years. So we're we're still very small today. Um, we've got less than hundred units in the field. Uh, we hope to have three hundred by the end of this year. So, you know, Definitely. it's interesting. I've talked That's to a lot. Well, I've talked to yeah, well, you know, it, it, it isn't it isn't, you know, in some ways. It's like, man, we've been working on this for so long, but there's just you have to have some patience with it, especially with physical device. You know, so there's a physical thing that has to get manufactured and has to get deployed in the field and it just takes some time. And I've gotten to know quite a few other, um, we're we're kind of considered a kiosk company. Um, So like if you think about Redbox or Coinstar or any of these Mm -hmm. other self-service kiosks, we're kind of like that in in a lot of ways. And so I've gotten to know quite a few kiosk founders because that's sort of one of the only, you know, groups I can somewhat identify with in terms of trying to understand our business. And there's a big leap from you know zero to one, of course, it's like a huge leap to actually make the thing. There's another really big leap from like single digits to double digits, and then there's an even bigger leap from sort of the dozens to the hundreds it just it and then once but then once you get up to this is what they've I've been told is the ones that've already made it to the hundreds, and we're not there yet once you're into the hundreds, all of a sudden it just starts to spiral up and i I'd be curious to go through that, having not gone through that before but uh, if, if, if our experience will match theirs in that way. So I guess we'll, we'll see in the coming years.
1: Well, um, yeah. And, and I'm sure it'll be interesting. And knowing how methodical you have been about everything, I'm sure that the, the concept of how to scale the business itself to support that kind of growth is, uh, a, you know, it's a problem every entrepreneur dreams about, right? But, but also one that is sometimes very challenging.
0: Yeah, well, for us, I think the way that we unlock the hundreds and eventually thousands scale is, is, we're right on the tip of it now. So seven months ago, we didn't have a single dog spot placed other than with mom and pop shops. So, I mean, that's still new. So now that we're with Kroger, Albertsons, Meyer, that just happened seven months ago. Um, that's so that's huge. still fairly new. Congratulations, yeah, so by that's... the way.
1: Congratulations. Thanks. Thank phenomenal. you.
0: So I think now that we've, we've had that pilot, you know, get to know each other period with all these grocery store chains, every single one of them now is expanding. And so that's how we unlock the location scale is by keeping, working with the, uh, these large grocery store entities. um, And then uh, what we've recently started doing too is working with dog brands like Purina, Mm. Mars Pet Care, some local brands like Portland Pet Food Company in Portland. And they uh, have started unlocking for us uh, more of a B2B model. So while we were founded on this idea of a pay-by-the-minute doghouse where the consumers are paying to use it, more and more we're seeing these endemic brands, like dog food brands, step up and say, you've got these dog houses in front of grocery stores where we sell our products. We would love to sponsor these units, you know, for their own benefit, of course, because they they get, and so actually Purina has now sponsored units with Meyer, which are in Grand Rapids and they've made them free for dog owners to use, which I love. And for me, that would be a dream come true. Yeah. I would love to make this free for all the, you know, pet parents. So that just is a total no brainer that you keep your dog, you know, never leave your dog tied up or in a car. And that it becomes supported by these brands who also care about your dog and the safety of your dog, and wow. and uh, also, of course, can get their own their own
1: name out there for doing a good thing. That is absolute genius. Well, you know, the hour has just flown by as it often does when we talk with great people like yourself and interesting companies like Dog Spot. So, what message would you like to leave with with people about Dog Spot and? how they can reach you if they're interested in helping out and what kind of help you'd like from people out there.
0: Sure. No, I appreciate that. So I guess, yeah, the best way to reach me is if anyone has any, you know, I love helping other founders. You know, if anyone has uh, just what they want to talk, <laughs> you know, it's, it's, uh, especially if you're a solo founder or you're even just getting started, you know, starting a new company can be very, very lonely. So I think talking to people as much as possible. So if you, if anyone has questions, um, they can reach me at Chelsea, C-H-E-L-S-E-A at dogparker, Dog C O G P A R K E R dot com. So I'm happy to, to chat with anyone about the company, either Dogspot itself or about anything that you're trying to do. Uh, I, I'm, Indebted to all the founders that I, I leaned on early days and so very happy to, not that we're, you know, much farther along, but you know, anything I can do to sort of help someone just getting started or at any point, I'm happy to do that. And then, yeah, I think for us, like in terms of what people could do to help us is they can go to our website, com. And then there is a place. I think it's towards the bottom of the homepage where, if you've got suggestions on where you want to see Dogspot in your own city, you can put suggestions there. If you, even better, if you happen to know, you know, grocery store owners or people that work, you know, and, and at those places where you want to see them, you can tell them about Dogspot. And, and there's a place on our website that says for businesses, and and they can request a Dogspot there too.
1: Well, I know I will be watching for Dogspot in the chicago area i noticed i looked on your map you don't have any in illinois or chicago yet and are just starting in wisconsin which is where the other part of our terrestrial listening area is so i look forward to seeing dog spots crop up all over in the chicago milwaukee area
0: we just signed our first couple of locations. Actually, I don't know if you're familiar with it. Um, in Downers Grove, I think it's a suburb of I Chicago. I know my
1: brother used to live there. It is. It's a, yeah. a western suburb. Fantastic. Mm-hmm. Well, we we should talk offline if there's anything I can do to help you because I'd be I'd be delighted to contribute to the cause because, as I said, I'm a very passionate and long-time dog owner myself and. Uh, I hate leaving little Phineas at home because he sure does love coming <laughs> with me and enjoys every minute of it. Yeah. Well, All thank right. you. Well, thank you so much, Chelsea, for being with us and, uh, really appreciate you being on the show this, this morning. And I hope everybody enjoyed listening to the story of Dogspot as much as I did. You can listen to a, an on-demand recording of podcasts of today's show along with other free information and resources for entrepreneurs. You can either go to the Savvy Entrepreneur Show page at lakes, plural, lakes, L-A-K-E-S, radio.org or my consulting website, which is com, or my law-related website, which is called forsythialaw.com. Now, be sure to join us next Saturday when our guest will be Fred Kopestake, who runs his own training and consulting business. He'll share how he got started, his business model, as well as some of the challenges and rewards. And as a professional trainer, I can promise you he is not only entertaining to listen to, but fun because he's got this wonderful British accent. So it'll be a great listen, I promise. Be sure not to miss it. Chelsea, once again, thank you to you for being on the show. Chelsea Brownridge from Dogspot. Thank you. And until then, folks, I'm Doris Nagel wishing you happy entrepreneuring.